be doing in our lives. You know, most days seem like nothing much spiritual is happening in my life. I don't know if you're like that or not. I mean, you go throughout your week and you look back and did something spiritual happen this week uh, in my life or throughout my work day? You know, I, I get up in the morning just like everybody else. I go to work. You know, I spend several hours at work. I come home and, you know, I throw some dishes in the sink. I may do the dishes in the sink, get something to eat, you know, maybe look for something to watch, you know, maybe scroll social media a little bit, and then take a shower and go to bed. And that's pretty much it for my day. And then the next day, the alarm goes off that I can't believe it's time to get up 30. And I'm thinking, oh, it's, and you do it all over again. And it's just day, days click on and days click on, uh, just like that. You know, and such is really everybody's life to a certain degree, to one degree or another. It's kind of like, uh, like writing in your diary, dear diary, nothing much happened today. I got caught daydreaming at work, and I did my nails. That's, that's, that's about it. They look good, but that's really about the, what my day consists of. Oh, I know, I start out my day probably just like you, and I have a spiritual thought or two in the morning. When I do my devotion and I pray and I spend that time with the Lord and then by the time I get to work, life just has a way of slamming into my devotional time in the morning and I get distracted with the concerns and cares of the day that I've totally forgotten that spiritual thought that I had in the morning, okay? I see a head nod or two out there, so a few of you are with me, okay? And you're thinking, this guy is preaching to us and this is what his life is like? Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's the way it is. But we're left to wonder, and we can only imagine, what is God doing in our lives? You know what? We're in good company, though, not just in this room, but in the Bible. We have many people in the Bible that are really kind of, if we look at their lives, we see that they've went through many similar things of what we would have gone through, wondering what in the world is God doing in their lives at certain points, okay? Moses being one of them. Moses, if we look in Exodus chapter 2, and I'm going to read verses 10 and 11, we'll see uh, a portion or a section of Moses' life. And it says, And the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called him Moses, saying, Because I drew him out of the water. Of course, this is the story about Moses when he was born, and Pharaoh's daughter found him in, in the river. And the next verse... And now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, and he went out uh, to his brethren and looked at their burdens. Within those two verses, we have a 40-year span of time between verse 10 and verse 11, okay? So the Bible doesn't tell us a whole lot about what Moses' life and what was going on in his life. We know some. We know he was being trained in the ways of Egypt and and studying in the school and, and being prepped perhaps maybe for one day being a pharaoh. We know a little bit, but we don't really know about what God is doing, what his belief systems are, uh, how much does he know about Yahweh and how much is he understanding about God's purpose for him and for uh, the Hebrew people. We really don't know what's going on in his life and perhaps maybe he didn't know a whole lot what was going on either in his life. And then the next time we pick up Moses, we have this, the incident we'll call it an incident, when he killed the Egyptian and he had to flee for his life. He was 40 years old. And so we really don't pick up on Moses' life again until he's about 80 years old, and that's when the Lord appears to him in a bush. So you have another span, a large track of time in Moses' life where we're like, what happened? 
What was going on? And well, we know he was following some sheep. He got married, had a kid or two. We know some, a few things, but we really don't know spiritually what was going on or what was happening in his life. You know, I, I wonder, you know, do we, what was his 56th birthday like? You know, was it a good birthday? Was it nice? Did he have cake? And well, we don't know, do we? We, no, no. we just really don't know what happened in Moses' life. But the first five books of our Bible were written by him, and much of the content involves Moses' interaction with God. And we can kind of get this idea that God spoke to Moses every single day. In fact, Moses knew God so well, he knew what his favorite ice cream was. And it's simply not the case. It's simply uh, not the reality of uh, Moses' interaction in life with the Lord. David had some similar experiences. Now, as well, there were blocks of time in his life where he was wondering what God might be doing in his life. Psalm 30, 13, verse 1 says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? And those are just two examples of a situation in David's life, he's really not sure what God is doing. God's not speaking to him. He's God not answering him, not talking to him about the circumstance. And he's left to wonder, what in the world are you doing in my life? So you see, we're in pretty good company, aren't we? These are the heroes of the faith. And so what we're dealing with in, in Scripture as we read through the Scriptures, we're actually seeing the highlights of God's purpose and plan, the highlights of the events in the individual's lives that I just mentioned, plus a few more of what God is doing, or perhaps maybe lowlights as well, if it's, if it's a situation that's not, uh, someone's not doing well in the Lord. It's really the peak events that are recorded for us that we're exposed to, that we see. We really don't know the other, the other things that are going on in our life, the gaps, so to speak. Haggai, the prophet Haggai, he prophesied for only four months. Four months. That's it. That's all he prophesied. What was going on with the rest of his life outside of those four months? Well, I'll tell you what was going on. He was not being given words to prophesy. That's what was going on. He wasn't prophesying because the Lord wasn't giving him words to prophesy. So what was he like? Well, we really don't know a lot about him. Uh, Obadiah, the prophet Obadiah, there are 21 verses in the book that bears his name. 21 verses. That's not a lot. If you think about a lifetime of serving the Lord, or living for the Lord, 21 verses. Uh, you know, I mean, look at Isaiah, 66 chapters, okay? I mean, compared to that, it just, I guess that's why I call him minor prophets. Not really, but not a lot going on. But you know what? If you think about it, that's probably better than 99.99% of everybody else lived in his time frame that perhaps maybe didn't get a single word in the Bible of what God had done in their life. I guess it's not too bad, 21 verses. That's more than I have. It's more than you have, so I guess that's not too bad. But we really don't know how old did he live? Where did he live? We really don't know very much at all about him except what's recorded in those 21 verses of the prophecy that the Lord gave him. So really the, the only thing that are uh, that it pertained to the big picture, so to speak, of God's plan are the only things that are recorded for us because that's the only thing that would pertain to us. The other aspects of his life and what God would be doing is really perhaps maybe that personal relationship 
with the Lord that really had no bearing on you and me today, these thousands of years later. So perhaps he had a wonderful life with the Lord and walked very closely with the Lord. I would assume he did, but we really just don't know, do we? What is God doing in the rest of Haggai's life or Obadiah's life? And then we have Amos. Amos was a bit of an industrial fellow. He was a sheep breeder. Oh, and he had a side gig, and his side gig was tending sycamore fig trees. Oh, and uh, every once in a while he prophesied. <laughs> That's really the life that he had. And in the book that bears his name, Amos chapter 7, verse 14 and 15, he says in response uh, to a priest, he says, Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, nor was I the son of a prophet, but I was a sheep breeder and a tender of sycamore fruit. Then the Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. And that's what's on his resume. The prophecy is down there about third <laughs> as far as what he did most of his life. Yes, he prophesied very, very effectively and very faithfully to the Lord, but he was a breeder of sheep. And he tended sycamore fig trees. And I came across something interesting about that I wanted to share with you in, in uh, some of the notes here in my Bible. It says, Amos also described himself as a tender of sycamore fruit. The sycamore fig trees bear thousands of figs, very much like the common fig, but smaller and not as good. Before this fruit could be ripened properly, a small hole had to be pierced in the bottom of its skin. This piercing was done by hand and was tedious and, time, and a time-consuming task. Why was Amos obliged to tend sycamore? Western Judea, an oasis, uh, the oasis of Jericho and lower Galilee, well, were the regions where the sycamore fig tree grew most abundantly. The shepherds needed to bring their flocks to one of these regions in the late summer after the desert pastures had dried up. Since this was the time of piercing the sycamore fruit, landowners would exchange grazing rights for labor. A shepherd would watch his flock while sitting on the broad limbs of the sycamore, piercing its fruit. I guess not a bad, you know... Get a little extra cash that way, you kind of round out your, you know, your income and your budget, I suppose. So get this image. He's watching his, his sheep, and he's sitting on a, a limb, and he's piercing. One, two, he's piercing these little figs so they ripen correctly. You know, it's like 10,984, 10,985. 10,986, that's 86. Can you imagine the tediousness of that work? Sitting there day after day after day, piercing sycamore figs. What are you going to do today, Amos? I'm going to pierce sycamore figs again today. That's what I'm going to do. Okay, okay. That's what his life was like. <laughs> that's what his life was like. Well, what does it mean? That, does it mean that God wasn't working in in their lives, in those so-called silent years? Not at all. That's not what it means. So what is going on as you raise your sheep and you pierce your sycamore figs? What's God doing in your life while you're working? Well, it's, it's pretty easy. It's like, well, we go to work. We, we pick up groceries, right? We, 
we drop off the kids, we do the laundry, we, we fix dinner, we uh, maybe get a chance to go out for coffee, or maybe go to the lake on the weekends, or that's the sort of things that we do. But what else are we experiencing? We're experiencing joy. We're experiencing boredom. <laughs> We're experiencing anger, disillusionment, frustration, peace, loneliness, satisfaction, disappointment, confusion, and fear, and a whole list of other things that I haven't gotten written down. Lots of things that we're experiencing on a regular basis as we go throughout life. You know, life just it happens every single day, doesn't it? It's 10,984. It's 10,985. And we can wonder, God, what are you doing? Really, it's in the everyday aspects of life that God wants to work in our lives. It's in the mundane. It's in the everyday situations that we spend 90 plus percent of our life in, isn't it? There's that 10% that's exciting, sometimes dramatic, but most of our lives, it's in the mundane, it's in the ritual, it's in the going on and on and on and 10,000, and you know. And you can imagine all of that time being wasted where God is not interested in intervening and acting and working and touching our lives. He's not going to waste that time. He's going to use that time uh, to, to his advantage. And that's where the Lord wants to work. You know, the amazing, magnificent thing that God is doing, and we don't really pick up on it because it happens oftentimes so very slowly. The amazing, magnificent thing that God is doing is working in us, not so much around us. He's working in you, and he's working in me. And that is to slowly conform us into the image of his son. Romans chapter 8, verse 29 says, For whom he foreknew, that would be us, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, I've liked that verse over the years because that helps me know what God's will for my life is. Now, I may not know which job to take or which city to live in or who to marry, but I sure know this, and you do too, that God's will for your life is to be predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Wow, we can settle that one, can't we? We can put that one to rest because now you and I know what God's will for our lives is. It's to be like Jesus. What does that mean? It means to develop and exhibit Christ-like character in our lives. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 kind of puts it this way. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. So it's God working in us to fulfill his good purpose. He's working and he's acting within us to, to fulfill the purpose that he has for our lives, for, for his glory. And you know what? He does it on a daily basis. A daily basis. Jesus, when he was questioned about a healing on the Sabbath, he says this. He says, my father is always working to this very day and I too am working. God doesn't stop working. He doesn't stop working when you don't feel his presence, when you don't sense that nothing is going on in your life, when you've had another mundane day and you just can't, you know, the days run together sometimes. You ever notice that? You know, what day did that happen on? Was that Monday or was that Tuesday? I can't remember what. He's, God doesn't stop working. 
He doesn't stop working. He's always working. He's working on a regular basis. Psalm 68 verse 19 says, Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits. Every single day of your life, God is involved. Every single day of your life, God is interested in working and molding and shaping you into the image of His Son. He doesn't take a holiday concerning your life. He doesn't take a day off. Every single day. He gets up probably a little bit before you do <laughs> and prepares for, to work in your life and in your heart. Okay, so what are we looking for? This is how we interpret God moving and working in our lives. We look for the signs and wonders. We look for the amazing things. We look for the big things, don't we? We look for the staff to become a serpent. We look for the Red Sea to part. We look for the wound to heal. You know, we look for uh, the, the, the giant to fall. We look for the axe head to float. We look for all sorts of things that will amaze us. We look for loved ones to be saved, don't we? We look for our bank account to be pressed down, shaken together, and overflowing. In Jesus' name. That's what we're looking for, aren't we? We're looking for God to do those amazing, those big, those fantastic and wonderful things that leave us in awe. And that's how oftentimes we interpret whether or not God is working or moving in our life. And when we don't see the amazing, the miraculous, we don't see the results of our prayer in people's lives, or we don't see things dramatically change because we prayed about something, we get this idea that God isn't moving and working, and, and we have that David moment. Where are you? How long will you forget me and leave me in this turmoil type of moment? God does do those things, and I'm glad he does, but guess what they are? They're the highlights, and they're very rare. I hate to say that, but they are. That's the example that we have in Scripture. We got Moses, and he's 80 before he first has his real interaction with God. 80 years old before he really has an interaction with God that's meaningful to him, that touches him and changes him. I'm glad for the highlights. I'm glad that God does those things that, that surprise us and amaze us and, and deepens and strengthens our faith. But the majority of the things that God is doing in your life don't relate to those magnificent, amazing, incredible, wonderful, stupendous type of events. They really work with the everyday, the ordinary. Instead, what we get is God working in the seemingly insignificant details of our lives. That's where God does the majority of his work. And what we would see as insignificant, the details, what he's doing in those things is working to conform you to the image of Christ, image of his son. Unless I am very intentional. Unless I am very intentional. Now, I got to admit, I don't, I don't think the Lord speaks to me or shows me anything most days in my life. That is, if I'm not intentional about it, of course, but you can go through life and you can get through the day, almost the week sometimes, you're like, I don't know that God spoke to me today, told me anything specific to do or about myself or about others around me, or, or he, I can't recall him showing me anything that just blew me away and amazed me, a spiritual truth that I just had to write down really quick before I forgot the details of it. It just doesn't seem to happen a lot in my life. Now, if I'm intentional, things can be different. I can't identify anything with really eternal value to it in a lot of days. I get to work. I have good intentions. 
And then work's over. And I look back and like, did God say anything to me today? Did he tell me anything? Did he show me anything specifically today? If I'm really intentional, and that's the goal, is that we begin this intentionality of what I'm talking about here, we will begin to see the things that he's doing in our lives much more frequently than looking for the sign and the wonder and the amazement of what God is doing. So in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, we have what is, what is called as the fruit of the Spirit, which we all know. And that fruit of the Spirit is really all about God doing something in us, not around us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And whenever we see fruits of the Spirit being exhibited in our daily life activities or the opportunity for them to be developed or cultivated, we can know for sure that God is working. So whenever you exhibit love or joy, you can know God is working in your life to produce those things through the Spirit of God. It's evidence that God's hands are upon you. And so in Isaiah 54, I like this, Isaiah 64, excuse me, verse 8, it says, We are the clay, and you are the potter, and all we are the work of your hands. So we know that, but God is the potter and we're the clay. And we are the work of his hands. And despite how you might feel, you're not still just a lump of clay. No, not at all. Because you're on your way to be a vessel that God intends you to be, and his hands are all over you. And you may feel like you're just laying there, drying out, but I assure you, you're not. Because his hands are on your life, and his desire is to shape and mold you and to conform you into the image of Jesus Christ through the work of the Spirit in your life, through developing the fruits of the Spirit in your life. That's what he's up to. Uh, <clears throat> think about Moses. Let's go back to Moses for just a moment. So you have Moses at 40. He makes a, a strategic mistake, and he kills an Egyptian. He kills the Egyptian because he has a sense of righteousness or justice because the Egyptian was mistreating the Hebrew. And so what does he do? He takes matters into his own hands, and he's got this sense of justice, and this isn't right, and and he's, you know, he's one of these guys who says, I'm going to step up and do something about it. And that's what he did. He did it his own way. Didn't do it God's way. And he stepped out and he sinned by killing the Egyptian. And then he got caught. And he had to flee and run for his life. So now he's got another 40 years in the desert thinking about his mistake. 40 years of wandering not really, I guess, wandering, but maybe wandering. I guess he's following sheep, and wherever they go, he goes. But he's now following sheep that aren't even his own. They're his father-in-law's. And so the Lord appears to him in a bush, and now we have a very different Moses. We have a Moses that's not so sure of himself. We have a Moses that says, Who am I that you would send me to Pharaoh? I, 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 I can't speak well. What if they ask me questions I don't understand and I can't answer? What if they ask me, who are you? What if they don't believe me? 
And so you have a much different Moses. So you have a 40-year span of time where we're not sure what in the world is God doing in his life. We don't even know if he was seeking the Lord or not. But we have a Moses who's very humble now. He's not the kind of guy that's going to take matters into his own hands. He doesn't trust himself anymore because he's been rejected by his people. So now he's in a perfect, perfect position for God to use him because he won't depend upon himself. He's going to depend fully on the Lord because he knows he can't do it. So is God working in those silent years? You bet he's working. Was Moses able to identify what was God doing? Probably not. But did it work out? Absolutely. And how about David? So you have David who, who is given the promise of the kingdom, but he spends years and years and years hiding and running for his life. Years of wondering, God, what are you doing? Why do my enemies triumph above me? And so there was this long stretch, this period of time, I think it was 20, 21 years or so before he actually became king of, of all of Israel, if I remember correctly. But by the time he became king, the Lord taught him humility. And the Lord taught him faith. Because if you read those psalms where he's crying out, God, where are you at? Like 13 and 22. By the time you get to the end of that psalm, what's he doing? He's praising the Lord. He's thanking the Lord. But you are my God, and I will yet bless you. And so he's learned. And so the Lord is working in their lives. And the Lord is doing some things. Throughout life, there's opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, isn't there? So... Our air conditioner went out this weekend, went out yesterday. So that was an opportunity. I'm not thinking that at the beginning. I'm thinking, you know, you, you, there's all of those things that, you know, your frustration, like, you know, okay, where's the money coming from for this? You know, we knew that we have, were having issues with it, but it's done and dead. And so I could, I could worry. That was one of my options. I could worry about it. Um, I, I, could, I could be angry about it, frustrated about it. Eh, there was some of that. But I also have an opportunity to to thank the Lord and to trust the Lord and to pray, God, okay, you got this and you can handle this. You'll take care of this. And it was really another opportunity to, to maybe be a little bit creative and, and to do some things to help situations work out. I had a small little window unit out in the shop and bring that in and put it in the living room. That'll help. My wife later on got a fan that we had. That'll, that'll help. And you know, it wasn't too bad. It's not too bad. God's going to work through this. So it was an opportunity and how I responded and what the Lord might be doing through that opportunity to teach and show me and to mold me, right, <laughs> shape me into this image that he wants me to be was right there in front of my face. So when we have peace and joy and love, what do we do? We acknowledge God and we praise him for it because he's working in our lives. When we experience fear, doubt, or turmoil, we recognize that he wants us to grow in strength and in faith. When we're frustrated, or when we're confused, we recognize that we need his wisdom and understanding. When we're angry or we're resentful, we're asking God, please help me see your perspective and give me the strength to forgive. Psalm 25 verse 4 says, show me your ways, O Lord, teach me your paths. Asking God to show us his ways is important. It's like Seeing things from his perspective, and that's very important, critically important. It's, it's key to see things from God's perspective of what's going on in our life, what's taking place, what's happening. And whenever we go throughout our day and we, we run into those circumstances or situations and we see us responding in a positive way, 
in a spirit way, in a, in, a, in a fruit way, we can thank God that he's working in our lives and he's given us this joy that we have that maybe we shouldn't have for some reason. Or when we find ourselves not maybe measuring up quite, it's that opportunity to say, Lord, okay, I, I want you in this situation to mold and shape me right now to cause this to work out. It's developing these Christ-like uh, characteristics in our life. Uh, it's, it's so that we can be a representative for God whenever perhaps maybe that right time comes. So just think about it. As you pierce your 10,987th fig, and you're admiring it and thinking, I did that one really good. Got it right where it needed to go, right there in this that that might be the moment where God speaks to you and gives you a word to impact the world that you're living in. So when it seems like nothing is happening, the most important things are actually happening. God shaping you and molding you through the small, insignificant details in your life. And if we'll be intentional, and if we'll be observant, and we'll be ask, we're asking the Lord, God, show me and teach me your ways. Show me your paths. All of, there are no ordinary days anymore. There are no days that are really mundane because if you're observant and you're intentional, you're saying, okay, God, you're going to show me something today. God, you're going to show me what you've maybe already done in my life by letting me see the fruit of the Spirit in my life. Or you're going to show me areas where I need to work on a bit more for those fruits of the Spirit in my life. And that's amazing if you think about it. 90% of our time is spent in the mundane, in the ordinary. And God's not going to waste a minute of it. He's not taking a holiday. He's working on us. And he wants to reveal himself moment by moment, day by day in our lives. So let's pray as we, uh, as we close. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that we have today to study your word and to see how you work in the lives of the people in the Bible. Moses, David, other prophets. Lord, more importantly, maybe to us anyways, is how you're working in our own life. So much of our life is considered common or mundane or ordinary, and it's so easy to gloss over those types of days and not really recognize you maybe doing anything at all, maybe feeling as though you're not there in that particular time and wondering, what is the Lord doing when I don't see the amazing and the awesome and the incredible? Lord, you're there, and you have your hands all over us. You've never taken your hands off of us. And you're molding and shaping, and you're forming, and you're conforming us to the image of your Son through the indwelling Spirit of God. And I pray, God, that you would help us be intentional. That you would help us recognize what you're doing through the work of the Spirit within us. That you would help us praise you and thank you for what you've done already and to work on the areas in which we fall short and say, Lord, I give this to you and I need you to intervene for this purpose and reason. And before we know it, Lord, we're going to see your hand at work way more often than what we would have before in the ordinary, in the seemingly insignificant moments of our life. And Lord, thank you that you care enough and that you desire to work every single moment of every single day in our lives, and I pray that you would guide us, show us your way, let us walk in your path. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
Amen. Thank you, Pastor. You are dismissed. <laughs> okay.